Okay, here we go. So if you're like me, uh, and you're kind of all over the place, like right now that microphone just threw you off forever, uh, this is a good gospel for you, all right? This is the gospel that's all over the place. Mark, Mark 41 times says, immediately. When Mark doesn't know how to change topic, he goes, uh, immediately, and he changes topics. And so uh, here's kind of the hope of Mark. Mark's saying, this is Jesus. If he is who he says he is, if he did what we said he did, then everything about life and human history changes. That we base our lives around the person of Jesus. That we can no longer be the same if Jesus really rose again from the grave. That our life will be forever different. So I love the gospel of Mark. And so as we're making our way, and just to kind of catch you up, last week we finished chapter 3. And if you remember, there was different groups of people claiming things about Jesus. There's three different definitions of Jesus. The scribes said Jesus is demon-possessed. He's filled with demons. Don't listen to him. His own family comes to him and says, listen, guys, it literally says he's mad. And his family came, it says, to seize him, to take him by force. And then Jesus defines who he is. Jesus says, there's a strong man in this world who has the world's good and tied up this world, but I am the stronger man who has come to bind the strong man, to set everyone free, to deliver people. So Jesus says, I'm the stronger man. And here's kind of the point of that. Uh, Jesus has shown us who, who his identity is. That the most important thing about our lives is how do we define Jesus? What do we say about Jesus? And so Jesus defines who he is. And he brings us in and says, hey, you, he goes, my father, my brother, my sisters, my brother, my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. And he kind of invites us into this. And now today, just to catch up to speed, know what we're going through, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Probably one of the most faith, uh, famous parables, one of the most well-known parables. It's also kind of called the parable of soils because it's less about the sower and more about really the soils, which represent the heart of men and how we receive the word of God. And so he's going to walk us through this parable. Jesus calls this parable in verse 13, we're going to read it like the key to all parables. That to understand the other parables, we need to understand this parable. So this is an important parable, uh, and I, I appreciate this parable and how Jesus describes what the sower is doing, what the soil is, what that means for you and I today. And so how we're going to look at it and what we're going to talk about is really sowing the word into our hearts. How do we sow the word into our hearts? How does it become something that's fruitful? What kind of soil are we? And so I want to read, it's in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 20, and, and in case you're like me and you're kind of going, I, I don't get it, how does this tie Think about this. People just came to Jesus defining him as crazy, defining him as demon-possessed, and Jesus goes, there's different kind of soils. And he's actually now speaking to the different crowds and the different communities coming to him. And so as we read about the parable of the sower, it speaks to us, but it's also speaking to people in his day that were defining him wrongly. So uh, Mark chapter 4, we're going to read the parable and then we'll pray. Mark 4 verse 1, it says, And again, he began to teach by the sea. He's in the Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and he sat on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So Jesus is teaching from the boat. I love this. Then he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching, listen. I just want to stop there. Like, listen, pay attention. That's like first thought, first word. Maybe you hear me say that a lot. Like, listen, hear me. Don't miss this. So don't zone out as we read this. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside or by the roadside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some seed fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it and had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed, the third seed, fell by the the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground 
And it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. And he said to them, again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked Jesus about the parable. And and Jesus said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That which was once hidden, the idea of mystery, that which was once hidden but now made known. He says, you've been, known, uh, been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that, now quoting from Isaiah 6, seeing that they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. What is that? We'll talk about that. Verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, And the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Let's do this. Since this is a parable about hearing the word, let it seek deep and down into your heart so it can produce fruit. I'm just going to ask that we take ten seconds, that you guys pray, that I will pray, and say, Jesus, speak to me this morning. Let your word sink deep into my heart. Let it produce fruit. I'm going to ask that you guys just pray and say, God, let your word penetrate deep into my heart and let it produce fruit. Why don't you take a second and do that? Father, we do ask that we would not be those who hear the word and forget it that we would not hear the word and it falls upon uh, stony ground or by the wayside or just there's, there's just weeds and it's choked out. God, we ask that your word would just soft upon soft hearts this morning on good grounds. Lord, that it produce much fruit. God, we ask that you'd, you'd break up, that you would break up the hard parts of our heart. That Jesus be open to learning, to receiving, even if we've heard this parable many times. <laughs> even if we think we get it. Even if we assume we're the good soil. Lord, I ask that you just do your work that it would penetrate deep and produce much fruit. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, growing up, I had an older brother and an older sister. I was the youngest of three. And, um, you know, my brother was like five years older. My sister was like two and a half years older. And whenever she'd have friends over, I always wanted to kind of hang out with my older sister. I was that annoying younger brother. You're like, no way. That's a surprise, of course. Yeah. No, I was. Um, you know, when my sister was around, her friends were around, I just wanted to like be with them, hang with them, talk with them, feel like I was older, mature. And there'd be times my sister didn't want me to hang out with them, right? Like, that's normal. She'd close her door or run away with her friend. And there'd be times that they'd be talking, and I would, like, kind of engage with them, so they'd change their conversation, and they'd speak differently. Maybe you guys, like, know what I'm talking about. They, like, speak, like, pig Latin. And they'd, like, just literally like, say words, and I had no idea what they're like, ooba gaba dooby dab, but I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, they'd just say these things. Maybe you, used to, maybe you used to do that. For some reason, I could never learn it. I could never pick up on it. She'd always do this when she'd get annoyed. She's like, Ugh. she's like, let's do it. And they'd speak in pig Latin, and, like, they would both leave, and I'm like, uh, where'd they go? I don't know. Because I couldn't pick up on it. It's funny. Because I actually went on, like, line to, like, read about pig Latin. I guess you, like, dropped the first letter. I don't know. I still don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, hello is elohe. Please is lease pay. Uh, how are you? 
Uhe arhe uhe ye. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> where are you going? Here way arye uhe oing way? So like, she would do this. She would do this all the time. I guess this is real. Did anyone else do this? I'm just curious if anyone else ever spoke big Latin to, distri- to trick people. You guys are messed up. So she would do this. She would speak in pig Latin. I had no idea what she was saying. They'd both leave, and I'd find them outside by the tree. I'm like, oh, I thought I heard tree, but I didn't pick up. I don't know. It was just very hard for me to, to pick up on it. And we would do this, too, with our friends. You know, we had, like, a Ford or, like, a treehouse. We'd be, like, speaking code, or you had to know the password. I, I think there's oftentimes people come to the parables or teachings of Jesus, and it's, like, pig Latin to them. Right? They come to the teachings of Jesus, and like, I'm lost. Right? Uh, I was talking to someone recently. They said, how can we know unless someone teaches? And that's, like, actually in the book of Acts. There's some guy reading the Bible. And Philip goes up to him and goes, do you know what you're reading? He goes, how can I know unless there's a teacher? Right? In some ways, we need clarity to this. Jesus spoke in parables. Parables might be for us that pig Latin. Like, what are you saying? What are you talking about? And it would draw the curious. It would draw the people to go, tell me more. I want to understand this. I want to get this. If you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 again, Jesus is by the sea. And it says in verse 2, just so you can read it, it says that he taught them many things by parables. So Jesus is by the sea, he's on a boat, he's kind of like using the water to like kind of make his voice go further. They're on the sea, listening to Jesus on the boat, and it says he spoke to them many parables. Next week we'll talk about a few more parables, but this week just this one. So Jesus is speaking in parables, and they're confused. Even his disciples like, what are you talking about? Just so you know, about a third of Jesus' teachings were in parables. Jesus spoke in some sort of parabolic language. A third of his teachings were in parables when you read the Gospels. I mean, this was kind of like his favorite style, you could say, of, of preaching or communicating in many ways. And so what is a parable and how does this work? And there's many ways we can talk about this, but it's worth, I guess, noting. Uh, a parable to me, we'll throw up a few different thoughts. A parable seems to be like a window, kind of like a little sneak peek or a glimpse into some teaching on the kingdom. Jesus usually talks in parables to talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And there's kind of like a lot of confusion, even if I talk about the kingdom of God, we all maybe have like a word picture in our mind and not really sure how to describe it, not sure how to communicate it. But he talked in the parables like a window. Many times a parable was like a mirror. Jesus spoke in parables in a way where you'd have to look at your own self, look at your own life, kind of evaluate where am I at? Is Jesus talking about me here? <laughs> He'd speak in parables and you're like, I think that was about me. I don't know. Was it about you? Like, you had to like take it in. Other times it was like a door. He'd speak in a parable in a way where he's like, come on in, enter in, get to know this more, pursue this more. And it was almost like a door or pathway. A guy named Warren Wearsby said it this way, a parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interests. But as we study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. If we continue to look by faith, the mirror becomes a window through which we see God and his truth. How we respond to that truth will determine what further truth God will teach us. It's interesting. It, it seems to draw out really the curious listener to go, I need to know more. You know, in, in many ways, and I kind of think about it this way, a parable is almost like a joke. You know what I mean? Like if someone's telling a joke, uh, my wife and I, if we watch like some sort of funny comedy, comedian, something like that, she leaves the room and she hears me obnoxiously laugh. She's like, what is it? And I'm like trying to like describe it. It's not funny, right? She's like, oh, the guy just said this. She's like, why is that funny? I don't know. You got to hear him. Like there's a side of it. This was not that like if you explain a joke, it's not funny, Right? If you try to explain a joke, you're like, okay, it's not funny anymore. And a joke is all about timing. It's kind of that right word, that right time. You know, he said it with that right way, the right facial expression. And you kind of go, wow. Like that. And a parable was really interesting. It was supposed to be exact. It's like you had to be there. You had to hear it. Maybe it's about us. Jesus is on the ocean, on the sea, and he's looking out. And they're on the land, and he's talking about farming and agriculture. And he says this. He goes, listen, if you have an ear, hear me. 
And I think for all of us, this is like that reminder of like, we come to church, but do we actually take in and receive? Do we hear it? Do we really hear it? Where it sinks deep down into our hearts? Or do we just kind of hear, we walk away and immediately forget what it's about? And Jesus is trying to say, listen, if you have ears, please hear me. My wife's like, I know you hear me, but are you listening, right? Like, we know this. And Jesus is like, I know you're hungry. I know that you come because I think I'm going to feed you again, like, but you need to listen. There is some excitement about Jesus, what he could do, casting out demons, feeding thousands of people at once. And Jesus is going, now listen, this is the most important part. You need to hear me. You need to receive what I'm sharing with you. You know, and parables were there to communicate truth. And I, and I want you to think about this. Parables really were like to cut to the heart. There, there are stories to draw you in, so then to kind of cut you and penetrate you. Think of David. Remember David, King David? He sleeps with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. David sleeps with Bathsheba. He ends up killing her husband, Uriah, in battle. David, for a year, lets his sin pass. Remember how Nathan the prophet comes to David? Nathan approaches David, and he, by, instead of saying, David, you've sinned. God, show me what you did. Nathan tells a story. He tells like a parable. And he goes, David, I have to tell you about something that happened in your land. There's a very, very wealthy guy who had a countless number of sheep, countless number of goats, countless number of anything he wanted. There's a guy who, who had one little lamb, and he loved this lamb. He took care of it. It was part of his family. This lamb would eat at the dinner table with him. He loved it deeply. But this rich man had a guy come and visit, and he didn't want to kill one of his own lambs, so he took this guy who had only one lamb, and he slaughtered it on the table. And he killed this guy's only lamb, his most precious lamb. And yet he had all these other lambs. And David goes, who is that man? Bring him to me. Like, we must kill him. We must punish him. And that Nathan, as you, got, as you know, says, David, you are that man. You had all of this, and you had to go after this guy's one little wife, who he loved deeply. And, and God used that parable to bring David to a place of repentance. And it cut him to the heart. And he repents out loud. And he goes, God, you know, forgive me. Show mercy upon me. And a lot of times parables are used that way. They're to draw you in because maybe there's a stubbornness to your heart. Maybe there's stubbornness to my heart. Maybe if someone said it straightforward, you wouldn't receive it. Maybe if someone said, you are this, you'd be like, I'm not that. But maybe if they talk in a parabolic kind of way, you receive it and think about it and go, I am that way. This is what Jesus is doing to really kind of bring them in. It was to make something that is very familiar, unfamiliar again. Sometimes you know things and I know things. We know them, but it needs to become unfamiliar again. For it to be powerful, like this story, for example, maybe you're very familiar with it, but maybe you need to become unfamiliar with it. Maybe it needs to become like you're hearing this parable for the first time again. You get what I'm saying? Even though you've heard it before many times, maybe not, but if you've heard something before, it needs to become unfamiliar again for us to feel the weight of it. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's talking in parables. He spoke to them in parables by the sea, and they're listening. One guy, a guy named Donald English, said this about parables. He says uh, that one aim is using parables to encourage serious, persistent, perceptive faith. That Jesus is trying to pull out serious faith. Faith is not just there to try to receive or get something from Jesus, but to go, what is he saying? What is he talking? I need to know this mystery. I need to know what he's talking about here. Because there's something probably more to it. It's probably more important than I give it credit. So here's kind of the idea. And we're going to walk through this in a little bit more. And it's weird. It's kind of hard. Jesus gave a parable so that we wouldn't know. And here we are like teaching it so we do know. So it kind of loses its punch a little bit. But yet Jesus explains it. But he spoke in parables so we wouldn't. And we'd have to, it's just interesting. It's like all this idea of teaching on parables is so weird to me. If you kind of, your mind can get wrapped up with that. It sounds weird. Uh, but here's what we see. There's four different soils. And these four soils re- reflect four different kind of heart postures. These four soils reflect really four heart postures and how we receive that seed, which is the word. And so we're going to see these four soils. And I'll just throw them up here for you. You can kind of see them. You're going to see a hard heart, a shallow heart, a crowded heart, a good heart. That's kind of the idea of the soil. 
There's a hard heart means by the, it's like a road. A road is very hard, very dense. No chance that that seed's going to penetrate the road. Then there's a shallow heart. That there's some soil, but there's some rocks mixed in. It won't take deep root. Then there's the crowded heart. There's the thorns. There's other weeds. There's, it's like actually good soil, but a lot of other stuff's growing with it. And then there's the good heart, the good soil. And Jesus is kind of walking them through this. And, and just so I can, we're going to do, do it this way. There's the, the parable, the imagery Jesus gives, and then there's the explanation he gives. I'm thankful Jesus gives the explanation. So there's the imagery, like the parable, then the explanation. And we're going to try to hold them side by side. So when we read it, we're going to look at what Jesus says and how Jesus interprets it and how he explains it. So we're just going to do that in a second. But here's kind of, I think, the heart of this in a lot of ways. You read throughout the scriptures, like Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Even the, it, it does seem that, you know, there's different seasons of life, if you notice with these soils. You can sometimes go from like a good soil, good heart, to maybe hard heart, to maybe a crowded heart. It doesn't, I just, I don't think that once you are, maybe you're born with a crowded heart, you can never go to a good heart. It seems that you can kind of actually, from, there's like a macro way of looking at this and a micro way of looking at this. And it seems that there are times when people go, man, they had a good heart. What's, what's happening? Now they're not receiving the word. Now it's crowded. Now the cares of this world are choking them out. What happened? We'll give some examples of that. But it just is interesting how he talks about it. It's funny. When I show that, can we show those four, I guess, soils of the heart again? When some of you look at this, almost all of us immediately, all of us immediately assume we're the good heart, right? No one's like, so no one reads that and is like, yeah, I'm definitely the hard or shallow heart. Usually not. Maybe some of you are humble enough to do that. But most of you are like, I'm pretty sure I'm the good heart. Like everyone internally is thinking that right now. And I just kind of want to challenge you to maybe, like, maybe not, maybe not. And maybe you need to read this and go, which, which soil am I? Because all of us are really, really inclined to think highly of ourselves. The Bible talks like we usually think a lot higher than we ought to think. And so maybe we need to slow down and go, really, what kind of heart, what kind of soil am I in this process? And, and before we, we do that, there's this interesting break. If you notice, there's the imagery and the explanation. But in verse 10 through 12, the disciples go to Jesus and go, we're confused. What is this? And Jesus says something that probably a lot of you are taken back by, and me too. All right, look at verse 10. All right, let's just read that. We'll start there. In Mark 4, verse 10, uh, it says, But when he was alone, Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that, quoting from Isaiah now, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Okay, and just so we can talk through this a little bit, a lot of ink has been spilled on these three verses, a lot of debates, a lot of frustrating things. Here's a couple of things I do want to point out. It seems to be that this is in some sense a filter that Jesus is trying to draw out the curious listener, the, the listener who doesn't just want something from Jesus, but wants to know what, the truth from Jesus, that just wants to know what is he really saying. It's to draw in really the, the outsiders in. Here's what I love about Jesus. It seems so far in his ministry, in a sense, or even in a religious community, there were outsiders and there were insiders. So for example, back in Jesus' day, they would think the scribes, the Pharisees, the rulers of the law, they're the insiders. Like, they know the spiritual things. They have books the Bible memorized. They're really pious, holy people, and they appear to be insiders. And yet now there's outsiders. There's tax collectors and sinners and lepers. And there seems to be in people's minds almost like, I'm on the in with God, I'm on the out with God. And what we see Jesus doing a lot of times is, is calling the outsiders in, and the insiders tend to leave at that point. Jesus is saying, hey, outsiders, hey, lepers, sinners, tax collectors, adulterers, whatever you are, hey, let me share this gospel, let me bring you in. And that frustrates the religious people, the insiders, and it pushes them out many times. 
They don't like that. They don't like that Jesus calling the outsiders in. Another way of saying it is, you know, parables seem to reveal and conceal. Reveal and conceal, if you want to write that down. Parables will reveal truth and conceal truth. Again, parables will reveal truth. Like, this is a truth I'm showing you, but it comes in usually a concealed way. You have to seek it out and dive into it a little bit more and try to press into it. One guy, a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, he's a lot, G. Campbell Morgan, he's a lot smarter than me. He said, therefore, Jesus, listen to this, this quote. Jesus used the parabolic method not in order to blind them, but in order to make them look again. Not in order to prevent them from coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them toward a new attention. So again, the outsiders he's trying to bring in, the insiders by that point were kind of get pressed out. They didn't like that. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. So he spoke in parables. It's like almost a filter in many ways, just so we can kind of cover that topic. And here's the key to the parable Jesus says in verse 14. What is the key? He says, the sower went out to sow, and he's sowing the word. And so before I can even talk about the soils in your heart, we got to start with this premise. The sower is sowing the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Out of all illustrations Jesus could have used to describe the word of God, it's like, why a seed? You know, the Old Testament says the word of God is like, a, it's like fire. Jeremiah says it's like a hammer. Other places, the word of God is like a sword. But Jesus goes, it's like a seed. And let's just start here. A, a seed, though outwardly vulnerable, is incredibly powerful. Like a seed has a lot of power. You think about the power of a seed. You think about how one seed, if I had held an acorn here, how one acorn could grow this giant tree and through that could produce more, like one acorn can in a sense populate the earth with trees. Because one acorn can bring up a tree, it'll have more acorns and more acorns and more acorns and more trees and more trees. Like in one acorn, there is just a forest of wood. Think about how you look at like one little tiny seed and you go, there's a forest of wood that could cover the earth with this one seed. They're extremely vulnerable, but incredibly powerful. You think about God's word being like a seed. Just think about how the word of God is extremely powerful, that God starts off, the Bible starts off with God saying, let there be light, and there is light. And God's like, God's like, let there be light, and let me now do these things. Now there's light. God said it. It's extremely powerful, and it was. There's power in the word of God. There's extreme power in the word of God. There's extreme, in a sense, if you think about a seed, again, the idea of it being vulnerable, if I have a seed, I can have it up here in this hard ground. I can stomp on it, crush it. And in a sense, it lost. It's, it's, it's vulnerable. It's a shell. It will die off, and we'll talk more about that. But it also has such life-giving power within it. It's extremely powerful. And I think Jesus compares his word to a seed to saying, it seems vulnerable. It doesn't seem like much to you. It just seems like words, but it's extremely powerful. And there's power in the word of God. And that's why we, as a church, go through the word of God and talk through the word of God. And that's why I'm not just here to give you my thoughts. or here. We're trying to say, here's Jesus' word. Let's, let's take our time. Let's go through it. Like, I... We're, I don't know when we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark again. I have no idea when, if we will. It'd be cool if in 30 years, like, hey, we're finally back to the Gospel of Mark. But, like, we want to be in this book and kind of, like, wrench it out, like, get everything we can out of it. That's why we're, like, you know, four months in in chapter four, right? It's a big deal for us. But we want to get everything out of it because it's just so filled. I mean, it's inexhaustible. And that's why we go through this book and talk about this book. So Jesus, the seed is the word of God. And that is so important as we, we look at the rest of the soil. So uh, first thing, just so you know, we're taking note or uh, want to see this. First thought again is this again. We're going to look at the first soil, which is a hard heart. A hard heart. Look at verse 4 and verse 15. Verse 4 and verse 15. We have the imagery, then the explanation. Verse 4, it says, And it happened as he sowed, as he sowed the seed, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Verse 15, Jesus explains this, as we read. And these are the ones by the wayside, where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word, that was sown in their hearts. 
So here's the first one. Jesus says, here's the first soil, the first kind of heart. It's a very dense heart. It's like the road. The seed cannot penetrate it. It cannot get in. It's just sitting on the road, and eventually Satan comes and just takes the seed, and it's gone. It's, it, again, this powerful thing like a seed with a, with a forest inside it, and you're just taken away by a bird. Extremely vulnerable. And see, there, there's that first soil. There's that extremely, extremely hard heart that you go, gosh, God, break. This heart is so hard. Will they receive you? Why are they so, why are they so intense towards you? Why do they have such hatred for you? And there seems to be this really incredible hard heart. And here's the other side of this, of it being a hard heart. There's also Satan there who's just longing and can't wait to take that seed just in case that soil becomes softened. Like here's a way it's saying, Luke chapter 8, verse 13, same parable. It says, the ones along the path are those who heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. We'll throw up Luke 8, 13, from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Notice that. He takes the seed from their hearts. So why? Why? He doesn't want them to believe and be saved. That is his fear. That is the enemy's fear. Let's just be really clear here. The enemy, Satan, who this is speaking of, the devil, he says here, he does not want people to believe and be saved. It's the last thing he wants. He sees the word being sown, and he goes, how can I take it out? How can I remove it? That is like his goal, right? Jesus said in John 10, the enemy has come to steal, to kill, to destroy. God's word is powerful. It's vulnerable. It's powerful. And Satan goes, how can I steal it? How can I take it away? You know, it's just something I want to share briefly with you guys, and I want to be even careful of how much details or what I share, but um, this week was awesome. On Friday, long story short, um, I get a phone call from a family in California because they call the church phone which goes to me. Um, and I get a phone call from them, and the, the pastor is this military pastor, and they had this family they're very close to in Kentucky, this Muslim family. Became really close to them. But they had to move to California for military reasons. This Muslim family moves down here to South Florida. This lady in California, she calls me, fills me in, and says, hey, there's this Muslim family who we love deeply. We have great relationship with them. They live in, their er- and they live in your area. We saw your church. So we wanted to call. And they just asked that we'd go to their home and pray with them. They just said, hey, some weird things are happening in their home. Will you please go pray with them? Um, so I call, I call the daughter of the family. She's, you know, she's kind of translates from between me and the parents. Um, the daughter's in her twenties. They have a 17 year old. So awesome family, sweet family. Um, me and another leader from the church, we go to their house on Friday. It's this incredible time. We just sit with this family in the circle. We're just asking them questions about what's happening in the home. Why are they calling us? The father's son just got back from a trip in Iraq and they uh, met with a spiritual leader, made them read something, drink something. Ever since then, there's just been a lot of stuff happening in their home. So we're just listening, talking. And at the very end, you know, they say, we called you guys, we called our friends, because last time this happened, we called our Christian friends, they prayed for us, and our home was different. So we wanted to call Christians again and pray for us, because we want there to be something different. And, and she was very respectable. She's like, you know, we think highly of Jesus. You know, we think really highly of Jesus. We believe Jesus does have authority over the demonic world. She's talking to me. And so we just listened, asked questions. I'm like, I just want to be really clear, like, we don't just think Jesus is a high authority, but he's the highest authority. You know, we think that's not just, the demons aren't subject to him because he's a prophet, but he's the prophet of prophets. He's the king of kings. And we just share with them, read some scripture in the home. It was an awesome time. They're very respectful. We're respectful to them just listening. And I said, do you mind if we pray now? So we get in a circle, we pray. They don't speak. The father and mother don't speak English, but we're praying. I'm holding the father's hand. He's crying. He's in tears, shaking. It's an awesome time. We said, now can we go upstairs and pray over upstairs? And the reason why, because they said it got so intense. They said, we're sleeping in one room. All, all five of them slept in one room because of what happened the previous night. That's why we came over. So we're just like, hey, we pray in the room. Can we just go walk around and pray? And so we're, me and this other leader are walking around and praying. And it's really neat. There's some Qurans open in their house, but they also had Bibles open in their house. And this was, this was on Friday. Um, there's a Bible in the, the brother's room, the daughter's room, and the parent's room. And I noticed all of the Bibles were turned to Luke 8. 
So I grab one of their Bibles and I say, why are your Bibles all turned to Luke 8? They're like, I don't know, someone told us to turn to Luke 8. At the top of the Bible, in Luke 8, it says parable of the sower. And I go, hey, I want you to see this, that all of your Bibles are turned to the parable of the sower. Like, I'm teaching on the parable of the sower this weekend. And I'm like, why did you turn there? I don't know, we were just told to turn there. And I go, can I tell you the parable of the sower? They're like, yeah. And I basically share the parable with them. I'm like, listen, God's word is a seed. And he wants to get your, his word in your home. He wants deeply to get your word, this word in his home. Not just to be an open book, but to be read, to be believed, to be trusted in. To get this word deep into your lives. And we're sharing this, and I'm like, please don't just, you know, there's some, just some music playing. I gave them a couple of podcasts to listen to. I'm like, hey, turn the word of God on in your home. And they followed them, and they're like, we're going to get the word of God in our home. I don't know what's happening at this point. I'm just sharing. So they, all, you know, I'm, I'm like, I told them, like, I'm teaching Mark's version of Luke 8. So I'm sharing with him. The father says something, and, you know, he just basically shares with his daughter, like, hey, my dad wants you to know he didn't understand what you're praying, but he definitely feels that God, like something different, something has changed in our house. And it was so neat to see this family that, that they, first of all, recognized there's authority in Jesus' name. And they were okay with us reading the scriptures in their home. And they had the Bible open. But now it's like, believe it. <laughs> now it's like, trust in it. You read it. You talk about it. You, you let this be always on the, the, edge of, the ends of your lips. Like, you always have this on your heart. Like, it doesn't just want to be a seed that just sits in your house on hard ground. It wants to penetrate and get in deep. And like, I had to assure them the enemy is going to do whatever he can to, to take that seed. And it's ironic. I'm like, why do you think I'm teaching on this week? And why do you think your Bibles are turned there? Because God's word is trying to get into your home. Amen? We share that with them. I leave kind of in shock, you know, talking to their leader. I'm like, were you just there? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. He's like, me neither. It's super, you know, cool. Like, you know, this is totally the Lord. Totally Jesus. You know, minutes later, we get a message, and not, without getting into this, we just get, I get a, basically a message saying, you know, hey, there's a church in the school. We want this church out of the school. We're going to do, I'm going to do whatever I can to get this out of here, get your signage off the fence. You know, we don't want you, your brainwashed Christians in our schools, so all of you guys are brainwashed. But just send us some, some stuff, you know, and just, you know, mention my wife, mention my son's name, which was hard for me. And I had to, like, reach out to some leaders and just say, hey, can you pray? You know, he's like, I'm going to contact freedom from religion. Here's the thing. God had to do something in my heart Friday night where it's like, this is good. This is good. That enemy's afraid. That enemy's afraid. You're going into people's homes, you're going into public, and the word of God's being taught, and then he's trying to steal that. And it just reminded me of Nehemiah trying to rebuild his city, and there's, there's Tobias and Sambalot mocking them, saying, the king's going to come after you. Your, your agreement, your lease agreement isn't real, isn't real but it was. Ours is. Uh, it's, it's not real. And then Tobias and Sambalot end up working for them to help build it. I think God's awesome that way. And I had to have, like, this this time to pray and kind of give it over to the Lord and go, you know what, Lord, the enemy's freaked out. <laughs> like, we're, go, we're saying this is Jesus's. All of the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is not the enemy's territory. That home is not the enemy's territory. All of the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we're going to sow the word of God wherever we go because there's power in that, but it must penetrate. But it can't just lay upon the wayside or the roadside or just be open in homes and unread and unbelieved. It must penetrate. Amen, church? It must be believed. And so we see this. I see the word of God being sown at places, but sometimes it just sits there and you're going, why is there no power? And sometimes we ask, why isn't that person's life changing? It's like it's sitting on a hard heart. And we're, we're, there are verses, and there's, oh, we'll keep going, all right. Number two, um, we're going to look at the shallow heart, the stony heart, all right, because I, I could just do this way too long. The shallow heart, the stony heart. If you would look at verse five, verse five says it this way. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Uh, verse uh, 16, here's the explanation. These likewise are the ones sown on stony grounds, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Why? 
Because afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Here's not necessarily just a hard heart, but it's a stony heart. And they can't really get depth. It has a little bit of roots. It springs up. The sun comes out. It heats it up, and it falls. It withers. It dies. And he goes, those are the ones who persecution comes, persecution arises, it withers and dies. And maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you've seen a group of Christians or people who say they're Christians get super excited. Like, Jesus is the best. They freak out. A tribulation or trial comes, and they're just off the map. They're like, what happened? Like, what, what, what was that? And Jesus is saying, this is the stony ground. You know, we are told that trials and persecutions and suffering will come. It should not be a shocker to us. Sometimes people hear the gospel in an environment where it's like, you believe in Jesus and everything will be perfect. And, and a lot of times it's the opposite. You believe in Jesus and you go, why did my life fall apart? Right? Here, here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12. All those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Like, it's, it's, it's a promise. No one opens up their promised Bible cards like, what promise do I have today? All those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Keep that in my pocket. Like, no one, like, loves that. Right? That's not something we, like, quote to each other a lot. But this is a promise. This is something we see in, in scriptures. And here's the thing. We should be aware. We should be ready. And I love, I love this verse. If you would write this verse down, it's Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. And I think it speaks so well into the stony ground heart. He says, sow for yourselves. Again, this idea of sowing and reaping. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Listen, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Sow up for yourself righteousness. Reap mercy. Sow righteousness, you're going to reap mercy. And he says, it's time to break up the fallow ground, the hard ground. It's time to break it up. It's time to stand to remove these rocks. I understand, if I'm a, I understand if I live godly in Christ, there will be persecution. I'm not going to let this, this deter me from following Christ. Though none go with me, though those mock me, mock me I still will follow you, Jesus. I mean, that is the, that is the heart. That, and this is something here where he says you can break up, break up the fallow ground of your heart. I think sometimes you just need to go, Jesus, there's some stones in my life. Remove it. Jesus, there's some hard heart tendencies. There's some stones. Please remove it. Break up the fallow grounds of my heart. It's time to seek the Lord. I think that's something we should pray more often. Like, God, I need to. Like, God, my heart gets hard. My heart gets stony. There's things in the way. God, break it up. It's time to seek you, God. It's time to bring you in. Right? God can give you a new heart. We get that, right? Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Amen? God's like, I'll take those stones out. I'll give you a new heart. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you come to me, I'll by no means cast you out. I think there is that side. Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, take the stony heart and just remove it. I don't want to just, every time there's a persecution or trial or suffering, I don't want to just wither away. I can't have deep roots. Break up that fallow ground in your name, Jesus, for your glory, by your power, not by my, that's something we need to be praying. And he goes, there's a stony soil. But then, number three, we see the crowded heart. We see the, the thorns. Look at verse seven. Jesus says, some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who heard the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You guys obviously get that there's four soils. Three are basically unresponsive to the word. There's one genuine good soil. It's not like it's two out of three or three out of four. It's like there's three out of four that are not good. Here's what's sad about this one to me. This one seems to have life. It seems to have some depth, but it's just crowded soil. There's weeds, there's thorns. The, and Jesus makes it really clear, really clear. He's like the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. The people start out following Jesus, but then Jesus becomes secondary or third or fourth or fifth, and it gets choked out. I, I, there's no greater example to me in the New Testament than other than Demas. 
right? The guy's name is already not the best, Demas. Uh, if you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, listen to what Paul says about Demas. Paul writes, be diligent to come to me quickly, right to Timothy. Why? Because Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Let me just really quick, Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament. One is simple, like Demas greets you. At one time, it mentions Demas as a fellow, a fellow laborer in the faith, some guy who sowed seeds before. He helped labor with Paul. So Demas had, was a guy that was mentioned two other times, and that's pretty cool if your name's mentioned twice in the Bible in like a good light. And then the third light's like, come to me quickly because Demas, my companion, left. He loved this present world. Why did he leave? He loved the present world. The cares of this world choked it out. And this is something where I see with, with, with all of us, like I don't want to ever be arrogant and naive and think that I'm not going to ever, like, I, I have to be guard. Of, I constantly have to pluck weeds out of my heart, constantly. I love how one author wrote about this. He says, the human heart, listen, the human heart is like a garden. Left untended, it produces weeds and thorns. But left tilled, it produces fruit and life. Think about the human heart. If you just, if you, my backyard, by the way, is a mess, right? I'll just use my backyard. My back way is a nightmare. There's just weed, less untended weeds, and they get really high in Florida. I'm not used to that from, you know, but they get really high. I'm like, what's, oh, that's a snake. That's cool. But left untended, just things grow. But if you tend it, if you're constantly on top of it, and you're pulling out the weeds, and you're planting good, and you're taking in good soil, removing bad soil, it can produce life, and that's like the human heart. I can't just let it leave my heart untended. You get it? My heart just can't be left untended. Like, oh, it's pretty good. It's good right now. It's good today. Like, it can't be left untended. It's just going to sprout up weeds and thorns and needs to constantly be tilled. It needs to constantly have those things removed and have good, it needs that all the time. That's why we're trying to say, like, you know the word, you love the word, you, you be self-feeding, get in this book yourself, don't just wait once a week. Like, we want you to just, to, like, sow the word deep into your lives. Make this a part of who you are. If you haven't caught this, and most Bible scholars kind of point this out, Jesus is bringing up these three soils, and if you notice three groups of people so far that the Gospel of Mark mentions, it mentions the scribes and the Pharisees who are very hard-hearted the wayside. It mentions the crowds who sprang up with enthusiasm, Jesus, but then tribulation sucked it out. It mentions Jesus' family, who they're worried about the reputation. They want to take him and seize him. They want to stop Jesus' ministry. And you want more, you can listen to last week's message. They were worried about their reputation. The cares of this world choked them out. Jesus is bringing up these three soils, and I think it speaks so far to his ministry, but it speaks so much to us today in 2018, right? It speaks so much to, to the, the climate of our human heart and our condition. And then Jesus says, but there's good soil and there's good ground. And Jesus describes this. We'll read this last that we see uh, the good heart. We see the good soil. Look at number uh, four. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, but other seed fell on good ground and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some hundredfold. Pretty clear definition. Verse 20, Jesus says, uh, verse 20, these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some hundred. Listen, the seed releases its power by going deep. The seed releases its power by going deep. There needs to be good soil, fresh soil that can penetrate, go deep, produce life, clean soil, not crowded soil, not rocky soil, not a hard soil, but there needs to be this clean soil that can produce some 30, 60, 100. And again, notice that phrase, some 30, 60, 100. Not everyone grows the same. Not everything changes the next day for some people. Like Sometimes there is a process. It's a little slower. Maybe it's a little quicker. It can look different. But you see the seed goes deep into the lives and deep into the heart. And Jesus says it produces fruit. It produces life. And can I, can I even share this with us? Um, sometimes I think in life, in, in ministry, in the church, in your personal world yourself, 
it's almost like we want success, whatever that means. You want success in your business world. You want success in some sort of element. We want success in the church. Here's what we want. We want fruit. It's not that we want success. We want fruit. We want faithfulness. We want there to be fruit and life. We want to just see that, God, look at your words being planted and there's fruit coming. And that's like the desire to see fruit. It might be 30, it might be 60, it might be 100. We don't know, but we just want to see some fruit. We want to see the word of God being sown and let there be fruit that comes out from that. And here's the thing. The seed must go deep. But can we say, in order for there to be life, the seed goes into the earth and it must die. A seed in the shell must be with it. It must die in order to bring out new life. And Jesus even says this in John 12, 24. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, listen to this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. I love this. Jesus is like, in order for, for there to be life, the seed must die. The word, in a sense, Jesus, who is the word, Jesus called himself the word, Jesus is the word made flesh, Jesus is the word, Jesus is therefore the seed, Jesus must die in order for there to be life. There must be this shell being ripped off, torn apart in order for Jesus to bring life. And Jesus died, his shell, his body died, and out came a new, in a sense, Jesus walked in newness of life, and we can walk in newness of life. Because Jesus died, we live. And this is the idea of the seed. It must go into the earth and it must die. And is Jesus not speaking of himself? Jesus not saying, I'm the word, I'm going to die, and I'm going to produce life. John 12, 24. Unless it goes into the earth and dies. Jesus went into the earth and dies and it yielded much fruit. Here's some of the fruit of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is Jesus' fruit right here. Here are the fruit of Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus died and rose again. And because he died, you die. Well, you will die too one day, but because he died and rose again, you will die and rise again. And we have that promise from Jesus. And there's this idea of the word of God being like a seed. It's extremely powerful, but it's extremely vulnerable. It doesn't seem like much. It's just a word. And yet when it goes into the earth, when it goes in good soil, when it dies, it will produce a lot of fruit. It will produce life. I'm so thankful that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is the seed, that he's the one we bring into our lives so there can be much fruit. Amen? Listen, sow the word into your family. Hey, husbands, hey, fathers, sow the word into your family. Pray the word, talk the word. Friends, talk the word. Don't talk your opinions. Don't talk weird theology. Sow the word. Sow truth of the word into your life. Exhort one another daily with the word of God. Like, let us be a community that's constantly sowing seeds. Let us be a community that's constantly, I love, you know what I love about this parable when I read it? It just feels like the sower's blind. The sower's like, there's some thorns. Ah, there's the roadside. Ah. Like, you know, when you read it, you're like, was he, what was on with the sower? Like, there's rocks. I'll throw it on the rocks. Like, you almost, but here's the point. He just sowed the seed wherever he went. And I think there, that's something we must do. You go, but it's rocky. But it's the wayside. Like, wherever he went, he just, he just sowed the seed. He just threw it. I think there's something really just funny to me about that when I read that, and I go, what is that? And I go, let's just sow the seed. Let's just take the word of God and just throw it out there and see what happens. We're going to do something really simple. Just praying Monday, Tuesday over this. And I'm like, can I order this in time? We ordered 150 uh, Gospel of John's. And we want to give everyone on the way out just a Gospel of John and say, hey, this week, would you sow the word into someone? Like, it's simple. Maybe you meet someone at Starbucks, talk to someone, family, friend. But like, as you go on your week, and don't just give to anyone, but as you're talking to someone, be like, hey, why don't you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John? It's not a tract. <laughs> this is just the full gospel of Jesus and the gospel of John. And so we bought some of these. We're going to give them out. And we're going to say, let us be a community that sows the word into our community. Like, I think this is what the enemy doesn't want. I think he wants to t- pluck it out. I think he's going to want to leave it in your car, leave it by the roadside. Leave, he cares to see, just leave it somewhere. And it's like, let's give it to someone and pray that it seeks deep into their hearts and that it dies and produces much fruit. Amen? So we're going to give some of these. There's like an invite card on the inside and just say, hey, why don't you just read the story of Jesus and just see what happens. And just read it. And if you go, well, nothing happens. You did your duty. You sowed the seed.
So we're just here to sow the seed. Amen? We're going to pray, and we're going to worship a little bit, because we're going to ask God, God, what we just heard, let it sink deep into our hearts. Let it produce much fruit. So let's pray, and we'll worship. Father, we just thank you for your word. There's nothing like it. God, I know myself, I've been so hard to your word at times. I've been so arrogant to your word at times, God. I just thought I knew more than you. (laughs) Thought I didn't need you. Thought I could do this on my own. God, thank you for (laughs) just toiling the soil of my heart, for breaking up that hard ground. God, thank you so much for when I was arrogant and wanted nothing to do with you or was angry at you or bitter at you, Jesus, that you were patient with me. God, thank you for the men and, and women who've sowed into my life. Thank you for those who are patient with me when I had thorns and rocks and they, they just sowed the word in my life. Thank you, God. Just pray for more of that. That Jesus, we would be able to, that you would sow your word first of all into us, let it begin with us, and that we might be able to go out, Jesus, and sow your word into others as well. Thank you for this group here. Speak to them, move their life, God. Let there not be hard heart. Let there just be much fruit from this. So we just want to worship you now, Jesus, and ask that you would let it sink deep and that it might die and produce some new life and fruit in your name. Amen. Let's stand.